All right. Well, good morning, church. Hope that you're doing well today. Um, our normal uh, sermon diet is typically to be in a particular book of the Bible, or uh, we look at a specific topic and we look at different uh, biblical passages around uh, that topic. And that serves us well most weeks. Uh, and yet today we're going to take a break from that, and I'm going to blend three different elements, and each of them have, um, have very significant spiritual value to us, uh, especially today in the life of our church. So today I want to look at um, three things. Number one, I want to just stop and reflect on 2016. just want to spend a couple moments and just uh, highlight some of the things that the Lord has done in and through our congregation as a way to say thank you to the Lord and as a way to encourage us as a body. And then number two, I want to look at uh, Colossians 1 briefly with you and, uh, and highlight specifically uh, the top priority that Paul desired for the church at Colossae and its impact on us at College Park Fishers in 2017. And then I'll finish by looking at some of our priorities for uh, next year. Okay, so those three different elements I'll blend together and, uh, and we'll have fun doing it along the way. So let me pray, and, uh, and we'll dive in. God, we do thank you and praise you for being our king. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who initiated a relationship with us. God, you are the one who rescued us from the pit of darkness. And so, God, we do give you our highest praise, not only on Sunday morning, but all throughout the week. God, thank you for the privilege that that we have to look at your word, to study it together as a people and as a family. And Lord, I pray as we do, Lord, that you would, you would do something supernatural in our hearts. God, would you stir affections and stir desires in the deepest places of our hearts for Jesus. And God, we ask that so that we be changed, that we might glorify you better. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to set up my sermon uh, this morning, I want to show you uh, a quick video of my daughter Ellie uh, walking for the very first time, okay? Ellie, come here. Ellie, walk to daddy. Walk to daddy. Come on. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Come here, baby. Good girl. Come on. Good girl. Come on. Good job, Ellie. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so um, parenting is really, really fun. Those of you who are parents, you know how fun it is and how um, incredible it is just when they hit uh, some of those development points, uh, like walking, and uh, and yet parenting is also extremely challenging, right? I mean, there's nothing that will uh, bring you to your knees like parenting. And, uh, and the reason why I show that video um, is, is not to show you that dads were up two to zero with Ellie because Ellie's first word was dada. And now you just saw that Ellie walked to me and not to uh, my wife. So two to zero with dads there. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Maybe the next one will, will be for you. I don't know. But <laughs> the real reason why I showed that video is just to highlight two observations about um, Ellie's first time walking and how it impacts our church. The first thing I want to highlight for you is the fact that Ellie knew what her end point was in order to walk. She knew what she was aiming at. She was aiming for me. Like that was her goal in, in getting up and taking those steps was to get to her dad. Okay, now I would argue that uh, Ellie would not have taken those first steps if I were 50 feet farther from her. 
that that would have been unrealistic. That would have been almost inappropriate for her to actually take those steps, and so she wouldn't have done it. So very, very important for her to have uh, an attainable goal in order for her first couple of steps. The second thing I want to highlight for you is the fact that, um, well, you, you didn't see this in the video, but prior to that, Lindsay and I cleared out the pathway for her to walk to me, that we removed the distractions. We removed her favorite toys and her favorite stuffed animals, Elmo and Bunny, so that she could have a clear path to walk from where she was to where I was. The reason why I share that with you is because those two things are not only important for toddlers as they're trying to walk for the very first time, but those two principles are extremely important for us as a church in order for us to continue to take steps forward and grow in maturity. See, number one, we we as a church, we need to know what our goal is. We need to know what we're aiming for. Where, where are we headed? What, what are our, our top priorities as a congregation? And then number two, we need to remove all of the distractions. We need to have a, a clear path in order to accomplish the goals that are ahead. The reality is, is that for a church, there are, there are thousands of really good priorities for us to pursue. And yet we as a church, we need to identify What are the most important priorities for us as a congregation that's not even 18 months old yet? What are those most important, those those extremely essential priorities that we need to key in on for 2017? So what I want to propose to you this morning is that our mission, why we exist as a church, is to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. That that's our goal. That's what we're aiming for. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to love Jesus and we want people to obey Jesus and then to help other people do the same. That we want that to create a culture within our church that's contagious, where we're following Jesus and we're helping other people do the same. And what I want to look in our passage today in Colossians chapter 1 is that in order for us to accomplish that goal, our church has to be centered upon the gospel that we must have a gospel intentionality in every priority that we have in the life of our church. And so I want to look at that in Colossians 1 in a moment. But the question that I want you to be thinking through this morning as we, as we move through our time together is what step do you need to take in 2017? Now, what, is a, what does a step look like for you in, in your own growth in maturity? That what does it look like to maybe better participate in some of the priorities that we'll lay out in 2017? What does this look like for you? So before we uh, jump into uh, our passage this morning, um, I do want to share some highlights of 2016, some of the things that the Lord has done in and through our congregation, because I think it's important to just stop and remember and reflect before we take steps forward. That if we want to know where we're headed, we have to know where we are and where we have been. Okay, so let me just share uh, some of these highlights for you. Number one, um, we had a really great time in the Word this this year. That we looked at uh, a passage or a a sermon series in Lamentations. We did a a topic on heaven and Daniel. We actually had our first Fisher-specific sermon series called Barriers. We had a sermon series on what is the Bible and, of course, uh, 1 Peter. Another thing I want to highlight for you is our high engagement level as a congregation, that we have 96% of our members are what we consider to be engaged. 
And what that means is that we, our members, 96% of them, not only attend consistently and give consistently, but they're involved in either serving or a small group or a Bible study. 96%. So that tells me that, that the vision that we've casted, that you have really received that, and you're pulling together, pursuing the Lord together. Now, out of our members, we have 90% of them are engaged in small group. And this is another thing that we've tried to elevate as the primary vehicle for biblical community is small group. And you guys have really bought into that vision. There's something really, really important in the Christian life about being with a group of believers and doing life together and reminding each other of the gospel. And that's exactly what small groups are. Next thing I want to highlight, um, although there's definitely room for those who are not currently serving, uh, we do have over 200 active volunteers who serve on a weekly or biweekly or monthly basis, either on Sunday morning or throughout the week, extremely high. We have 28 ministry or service teams with, now catch this, with only 11 of those teams are staff-led. Okay, so we're equipping lay leaders to really do the, works of, the work of ministry, Ephesians chapter 4, with just staff oversight. We launched 11 new small groups this past year. We had, a, we had three backyard Bible clubs last summer as outreach, along with uh, two bridge building events, movie night and water night, as we continued just to experiment how to create um, safe environments for unchurched and lost people to uh, get to know Jesus. We had 48 new members from our congregation just this past year alone. We had nine baptisms. We have our first uh, congregational vision trip to uh, Southeast Asia next year and a trip that uh, me, Tim, Chris, and Dale went on this past year, sending out our first uh, couple onto the mission field uh, in a couple of weeks. We enjoyed three uh, church-wide pitch-ins as we develop a community and a place of being known. We have too many uh, discipleship relationships to count, individuals who are meeting either one-on-one or one-on-three, growing uh, together spiritually and studying the Word together. We have several uh, salvations this year, either occurring on Sunday morning or throughout the week, and many of our own uh, children. And then I want to share this. So many of you are experimenting with how to take the gospel and go next door. And I just want to highlight some of these uh, ideas that you guys are generating and, and living out. And there's many more that I'm leaving off here, but let me just highlight a few. There's one couple in our church that did a cookie decorating event at their house, and they invited their neighbors in order to, to invite them to church. We had one couple who did a bonfire at their house and invited their neighbors to try to build that relationship with them. We had one family who leveraged their son's baseball league and reached out to a single mother and had her over for dinner and shared the gospel with her and invited her to church. We had one individual who joined a book club to surround herself with with unbelievers. We had one couple who uh, has been reaching out to uh, neighbors who are refugees for dinner, just sharing them the gospel and the American culture. We have countless of you that are building relationships with coworkers and sharing the gospel with them over lunch and, and over coffee. And then we have almost 10% of our children, 10% who worship over in that wing, whose parents are not Christian. That they come here every week due to their uncles or aunts or grandparents or neighbors, 
and yet their parents aren't saved. So amazing opportunity for evangelism right there. I want to also highlight the fact that our congregation has endured a lot of pain and struggle this year. There have been deaths and surgeries and job loss and uh, those who are struggling with infertility. And I highlight that because even as a young congregation, it has been absolutely beautiful to see many of you just surround yourself with those who are hurting. And I really believe that the Lord is using some of our trials and some of our, our pain to shape an identity for us as a congregation as we start out. So that's just a, a quick set, snapshot of what has happened in this past year. I know I've, I've left off so many other things, not to mention all of the hospital visits, all of the meals that you have prepared for those who are hurting, the 15 different counseling cases this year. But I also want to encourage you with one thought, that the Lord is always working way more than we ever could realize. That the Lord is always working in ways that we're not even aware that he's working. Let me give you just one story to, uh, to highlight that fact. Uh, a few months ago, um, in this place, I was leading communion. And, uh, and as I always do, I try to set up communion by explaining what it is and who it's for, that it's for Christians, it's for those who have placed their faith uh, upon Jesus. And that morning, we had a couple who are members here who invited someone who is unchurched and lost. And so I'm leading communion, and I set it up uh, around and guarded the table. And as the elements are being passed, so the, the bread and the juice are being passed, this individual who's unchurched and, and not saved um, says to the people that brought them, I, I can't take those elements. And the individual's like, well, well, why? You know, just trying to pry it out of her. And, and she said, well, because I, I'm not a Christian. Like, I, I don't have what he said. And based on what he said, I, I can't take the elements. And so our members who brought this individual said, well, well do you want to trust in Jesus right now? Like, do you want to give your life to Jesus right here, right now? Now, this is in the middle of communion as elements are trying to be passed, which might explain why some of them get delayed from time to time. But the person said yes. The person said, yes, I want that Jesus. I want what he was explaining, that acceptance and that love and that forgiveness. And so right there in the middle of communion, as the elements are being placed, she put her faith in Jesus and took the elements. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's like, I, I didn't realize that that happened until a few weeks ago. <laughs> and so it's like the Lord is working in ways that we just, we don't even know, we're not even aware of. And so I just want to publicly just praise the Lord that he works, and not on our timetable, not on our watch, but he works on his own timetable in his own sovereignty. I just want to praise the Lord for what he has done in and through our congregation. And so with that in mind, let's, let's jump into our passage in uh, Colossians chapter 1 and look at what Paul sets forth as the correct priority for the church. And before we dive into our passage, I do want to set the context for us. just want to highlight a couple of observations that Paul is writing to a church in Colossae, a, a group of Christians who are being bombarded with false teaching. That part of the reason why Paul is writing this letter is to identify an incorrect set of priorities that these false teachers were setting up for the Christians to pursue. That Paul is trying to write to these Christians who are being tempted to drift away from the gospel and pursue a set of priorities that are anti-gospel. 
In fact, Paul highlights some of these wrong priorities throughout the letter. Let me just name a few. At chapter 2, verse 8, Paul highlights the wrong priority of pursuing hollow philosophy and human tradition. Another priority found in chapter 2, verses 16 and 18, was to pursue observing certain food restrictions and holy days to practice abstinent disciplines. These false teachers were holding up priorities like angels and visions from chapter 2, verse 18. And so part of the reason why Paul is writing this is to, is to basically warn the church, look, don't pursue those other priorities. Those priorities aren't centered on Jesus and the gospel. They're not the point. At the point of church is to hold up the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. That's why Paul begins this letter in chapter 1 with, with one of the most beautiful descriptions of the supremacy of Jesus in chapter 1, verses 15 and 20. In fact, oftentimes in my own life, when I'm in kind of a dry season with the Lord, I will go back to chapter 1, verses 15 and 20, because it just it stirs my heart with affections towards Jesus. So Paul is writing this to basically say, look, don't move away from the gospel, that your priority should be Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a really, really good warning for us as a young congregation. I think we can learn a lot from this letter and specifically this passage that as we set up and as we grow and as we think about what steps to take in growing in maturity, that we need to be aware of the fact that there is a danger in pursuing the wrong priorities as a church. That if we pursue the wrong priorities as a church, that will not only waste time and energy, but we will actually decentralize the person and work of Jesus Christ. That if we pursue the wrong priorities as a church, that will not only be on kind of this, this spiritual treadmill, where we're filled with activity and, and it seems like we're doing a lot and yet we're not going anywhere spiritually. We're not only be in danger of that, but even, even the picture of who God is and what he is like, this picture that we set forth for the whole community to see will be unbiblical if we aren't pursuing the right priorities as a church. That our church will actually become hollow and shallow and, and life change won't be a consistent reality for us. I know I've said this before, church, but one of my concerns that if you ask me, Chris, what, what tends to keep you up at night? It's the concern that five years from now and 10 years from now and 30 years from now that we wake up as a church and, and we come to the conclusion that we've missed it, that we've decentralized Jesus as being the highest priority, that we've moved the gospel out of the center of our church that we might have a great building, we might have a, a calendar, a church calendar filled with events and programs, we might be filled with activity, and yet we've missed it because we've moved Jesus off the center of our church and the power of the gospel. That's, that's one of my greatest concerns as a young church. I think it's one of Paul's biggest fears. As, as you can see and hear him writing these letters, he's concerned that these churches are moving away from a gospel intentionality and a gospel centeredness. And this needs to be our greatest concern as a church, not to drift away from the gospel and being centered on Jesus. 
And so Paul highlights just the absolute necessity to living a life with gospel intentionality that leads to living a Jesus-centered life. In other words, to keep the main one the main thing. And so in our passage today, I just want to highlight two things that Paul um, brings forth that will help us identify what the top priority of our church must be. That number one, Paul highlights an amazing and beautiful contrast in verses 21 and 22. And then secondly, Paul holds up in verse 23 what the top priority of the church must be. So let me run through these quickly here. Number one, the contrast. Verses 21 and 22. Take your Bibles and look with me at verses 21 and 22. Paul says this. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, at the heart of this passage here today, Paul is using one of his favorite literary devices that you can really see all throughout his letters, that it's a device to show a blatant contrast. What Paul does is he says, you were once this, and now you are that. He's using this once now device to show a beautiful contrast. You see that in our passage here today. At verse 21, he says, you who were once, and then he gives three descriptions, that you were once alienated, you were once hostile in mind, and you were once doing evil deeds. And then he says, but now you have been reconciled through the death of Jesus once now. Now let me unpack some of these descriptions a little bit further. At first, Paul says that we were once alienated, that this alienation is referring to us and God, that we were estranged or separated from God and a life with God. In fact, Paul describes this type of alienation all throughout his letters, but specifically in in, uh, in, in Ephesians 4.18, he says that they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of hearts. And what that shows us is that the reality of us being alienated with God is due to our own sin, that our rebellion against God is against him and his way of living. But Paul not only describes this alienation, he also highlights, number two, that we were once hostile in mind. That hostile in mind refers not to the organ of intellectual thought, but it actually refers to a mindset. This describes the, the disposition of a person. It's the mind and the heart of somebody that's against God, that they are enemies and hostile against God, that they're anti-God, they're anti-holiness, anti-obedience, anti-true joy in him. And then Paul gives the third description here. He says all of that leads to, number three, the doing of evil deeds, that our evil behavior is the result of this hostility in our minds toward God, that what we think and what we believe has a direct impact on what we love, and what we love actually drives our behavior. That's why we put such an emphasis on having right doctrine and right theology, 
because we know that, that what happens up here in your minds has a direct impact on your heart and what you worship, which then drives how you live in your behavior. And so what Paul shows us here is that before Christ, we committed evil deeds because we loved sin and not Jesus. And so we were once alienated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But in verse 22, he says, but now, so see the contrast there, once and now, we have been reconciled because of Jesus and his death on the cross. Look at chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 12 through 14, as he, as he further unpacks this reconciliation that Jesus has done for us. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to, to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin." What an amazing reality. Like that is, that is a powerful contrast that Paul is doing, that you were once this and now you are that. You are reconciled to God. And followers of Jesus, I'm just curious, are you still amazed that you've been reconciled? Like does that still, does that still stun you? Does it still take your breath away that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son? Does that still just, just blow you away that God would do that in your life? That God would take you, you were alienated from him, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and he would save you and adopt you into his family. Does that still stun you this morning? I mean, when you trace scripture and the way that scripture describes who we used to be before God, it was an awful situation. That scripture describes our minds being darkened in understanding, hostile towards God. That our minds were blind. That we couldn't even see the glory of God. That our hearts, they were, they were callous. They were like stones. We could not love God as we ought. That we were dead in our sins. That we were enemies of him. And yet God made us come alive in Jesus, gave us the gift of faith to see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus and transferred us into his family. But that is unbelievable that God would do that. And look, we, we can never get over that. Like as long as I'm preaching in this pulpit, I'm gonna pound that gospel, that good news message into our congregation because it is absolutely amazing. And when we lose that awe, of being rescued, when we move away from other things that, that we become callous to being rescued, that is when the gospel is no longer our top priority. So look, we need to continue. We need to work hard at making sure that we don't lose that awe that Jesus saved us. So Paul, beautifully, he just shows this contrast, who we once were, but now are reconciled to Christ but he not only shows this contrast, but he also shows the purpose of being reconciled. Did you pick that up in verse 22, that last phrase there where it starts, it says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Paul, he clearly states the goal or the purpose of us being reconciled with that, that prepositional phrase, in order so whenever you see that in Scripture, I just encourage you just to highlight that phrase, in order or 
because of this or so that, because it's showing purpose. It's showing the reason for the action. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, you've been reconciled in order to be holy, in order to be blameless, in order to work out your relationship with the Lord so you can grow in Christ's likeness so that you can continue to take steps forward. Paul highlights this elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, where it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So the beauty of Christ's work on the cross was not only to save us from something, but to save us to something. To not only save us from our sin and from our shame and from our guilt and from living a life of eternal damnation separated from him, but he's also saved us to a life of pure joy, living in obedience and holiness towards Christ. That our new status before God is is not just an end in itself, but it has a further goal in mind. That we who are declared holy and accepted and righteous because of Jesus, Paul is now saying, live that out in your daily practice. That you have a positional holiness. So for those of you who have your faith upon Jesus, your status before God is accepted, it's righteous, it's holy, it's blameless. And so Paul is encouraging us to live that out in our daily practice to pursue who we actually are. So Paul shows this beautiful, beautiful contrast that who we once were, who we are now in Jesus, and gives us a mission to pursue maturity in Jesus. But Paul not only shows the contrast in our passage, he also highlights the priority of the church, the priority Look with me at verse 23. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So what Paul is highlighting here in verse 23 is for the church of Jesus Christ to pursue three things that he wants us to continue in the faith, he wants us to be stable, and he wants us to be steadfast. Now, the way that Paul uses those two words, stable and steadfast, is he's trying to communicate the idea of being firmly planted, that we want to be firmly planted in the gospel, in, in who Jesus is, that our lives are planted in Jesus. And the result will be that false teachers won't shake you, that culture won't shake you, that the pain and and disappointment that you endure, they won't shake you, that the election results won't shake you because you are firmly planted in Jesus and the truth of the gospel. Now, naturally, if you're like me, you're wondering, okay, like, how does that happen? Like, I want to be stable. I want to be steadfast. I I want to continue in the faith. but, But how does that happen? How does the church remain stable and steadfast upon Jesus. Well, Paul says in verse 23, to not shift away from the gospel. You see that in verse 23? It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the gospel. 
See, Paul was legitimately concerned for the Christians in Colossae that they would drift away from the gospel because of the false teachers, because of all of these, these priorities that they were putting up for the church to pursue. And so Paul is, is exhorting them, look, don't move away from the gospel. Church, don't run after the latest fads in church ministry philosophies. Anchor yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the most stable thing you can do. Because any other priority divorced of Christ and divorced of the gospel leads you to instability. It leads you to self-reliance. It leads you to pursuing self-righteousness, which if you're like me, that's anything but stable. And so the gospel is what keeps us stable and steadfast. It enables us to persevere until the end. Anything else, and you're just kind of wandering on your own strength and your own power. And this gospel that, that Paul has been writing about, that Paul preached about, is the gospel that says, you cannot save yourself. You are not stable enough. You are not steadfast enough. You cannot continue to save yourself. Why? Because God's standard is perfection. His standard is, is perfect righteousness. And look, none of us are that. We are not stable in our morality to earn and purchase our salvation. And so the good news of Jesus Christ is that we don't save ourselves. Jesus saves us. We take Jesus's righteousness that covers us and makes us holy and blameless. And once we live out of that reality, we can live lives of stable and steadfastness continuing until the end. You see how central the gospel is. That as we start putting up these priorities divorced of the gospel, we're pursuing self-righteousness. That if our, if our children's ministry starts pursuing good priorities, but they're not holding up the gospel of Jesus Christ, that ministry is going to collapse. Like your small group that you're in, 90% of, of our members that are in, if your small group is not anchored in the gospel, it will not last. It will not be stable. Like your marriage that you're a part of, if it's not anchored in the gospel, if it's not a visible icon because of the way that you're loving each other and the way that you're serving each other, it will not last. Look, the gospel is absolutely central. And we as a church, we need to grow in our understanding that the gospel not only saves us, the gospel is not only something that purchases our freedom, but the gospel shapes how we live. That there's a power in the gospel that enables us to pursue obedience. So it's not that the gospel saves you and then you be the best Christian that you can be, but the gospel saves you and actually empowers you to live a life that looks more and more like Jesus. And the way that that happens is because for you to pursue holiness, you're not pursuing holiness in order to earn God's love or to earn God's acceptance. That's already been, been made possible because of the gospel. And so that reality then frees you up to pursuing holiness out of a thankfulness and a love for Jesus that it removes that burden, that you don't have to earn your salvation because you can't. It's all because of Jesus. It's a gospel-centered, a gospel intentionality in our sanctification and in our holiness 
to God. So Paul, he holds up this gospel that you have been reconciled to God. He says, don't shift away from the hope that is found in it, that this gospel is being proclaimed all throughout creation. Now, the reason that Paul is so concerned about them not shifting away from the gospel is because what you believe to be the most important priority actually shapes how you live. Don't you, don't you know that to be true? Like, what you believe to be of, no, of most value is what you'll spend your time, is what you'll, you'll spend your energy and your money on. That what you believe to be most important will shape how you live. Let me, let me unpack that a little bit further. Thanksgiving is in, a, is in a couple of days, and Thanksgiving is actually one of my favorite holidays. And it's not just because it kind of kicks off these other holidays like Christmas and and New Year's. It's not just because basketball season has started and we're in the heart of the football season, but it's because of the food, okay? I'm a, I'm a huge, huge foodie, love food, and Thanksgiving, like, you get the full spread of just an amazing uh, display of great-tasting food. Now, my favorite food during Thanksgiving is pie, okay? Big pie guy. I love apple pie, cherry pie, and for me, what separates a good pie from a great pie, and I know you're really taking notes here, a good pie from a great pie is not just the crust, it's actually the filling. Okay, everybody highlights the crust, and you should, but the filling for me is what separates a good pie from a great pie, like the consistency of the filling and, and like the ratio between the filling and the crust. Like it's really, really important. Now, my wife is not taking notes because she has this mastered, and I'm looking forward to that pie this year. But now the reason why I'm highlighting pie and the filling of the pie is because that's not only true about good-tasting pie, it's also true in the Christian life. Okay, let me unpack that more. So when you think about your life as a pie, okay, as a Christian, and for you, when you think about your priorities, what your top priorities are, and we all do this, you will take that pie and you will slice it up based on what you believe are your top priorities in life. So if you're a follower of Jesus, most likely the biggest slice of the pie of your life is God, is pursuing God, reading the Bible, praying, coming to church, being involved in the church, leading your family um, in spiritual maturity. It's usually the largest slice if you're a follower of Jesus. Now there's other slices like work and relationships and family and working out and entertainment, all those other things. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But what I, want, what I want to propose to us this morning is that God and the gospel should not just be the largest slice, but the gospel should actually be the filling of every slice in our lives. That the gospel actually has a centeredness in your workplace and in your marriage and in the way that you pursue entertainment, and as you work out, that there's a gospel intentionality in every priority and value of your life. See, we get into a little bit of danger when we make God and the gospel just the largest slice, and we compartmentalize him over here, and then we pursue all the other values. Like, I've done my devotions, I've gone to church on Sunday, God is good, and now I'm going to live however I want to live. And yet, I think what Paul means here by not shifting away from the gospel is by having that gospel-centeredness in every slice of the pie of your life. And guess what will happen? 
your life will actually become more stable and steadfast. You will continue in the faith because the gospel produces that in your life. And guess what? That your personal life as an individual follower of Jesus, you're not the only one that has a pie. Churches have a pie as well that we hold up our top priorities and we divide up the slices of of our priorities in a similar way. And so as we turn to the third element of our time together, I want to propose to us some of our top priorities as a church and as a congregation for 2017. And I want you to know that each of these priorities is directly tied to the gospel. That maybe not explicitly, but the filling of every priority has a gospel robustness uh, that will propel us forward and enable us to take steps. And so these first, well, let me just give them to you first here so that you can have them. When you think about next year, I want you to think about next year in the following words. Evangelism, discipleship, shepherding, community, and next-door mission. Okay, evangelism, discipleship, shepherding, community, and the next-door mission. And because we don't want to shift away from the gospel, we want our top two priorities to be evangelism and discipleship. That we believe that the gospel is so good, we believe the gospel is so true, that in our evangelism we are going to be dedicated and committed to sharing that message with other people. And we also believe that the gospel message is so powerful that it has the ability to mature us in discipleship. And so as I shared last week in our members meeting, that we have this airplane metaphor to describe the life of our church. That if our church is an airplane, we have one wing of our church is evangelism and the other wing is discipleship. Now, obviously, they're connected. They're intimately connected but the engine of our church is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it not only propels us to engaging with the lost, but it also helps us to mature in Christ-likeness. And so let me just unpack uh, some of our priorities here as we close. Number one, evangelism. Now, I'm sure I don't need to convince any of us that each and every one of us needs to continue to grow in our personal evangelism, our reaching the lost. And in 2017, we'll be unpacking further our outreach strategy that has five layers to it. That number one, uh, the first layer is personal evangelism, of going next door, of building relationships with the lost and with the unchurched and sharing the gospel, that we're all engaged in personal evangelism. And then layer number two is community outreach, that we believe that we have an assignment from the Lord to bless and to show mercy to the Fishers Noblesville in this northeast region of Indianapolis, that we want to be able to impact the community with love and, and with grace. And then number three, kind of a new category for us, is urban outreach. That for us, when we have referred to local outreach, referring to Brookside, that's not really local for us. That's more urban And we love what the Lord is doing in and through Brookside and and under Pastor Dale's relationship. And we really believe that as Christians, we need to participate in gospel renewal, especially in the city. And so that'll be a third layer is urban outreach through Pastor Dale's leadership. And then number four is participating more in the next door mission. 
that as the next door mission has been really focused on fishers, we want to continue to see how we can participate in taking the gospel next door, not just in this area, but helping other people do that throughout Indianapolis. And then the fifth layer is our global outreach, which we spent most of October uh, casting the vision for that. So you can notice that all five layers will push us to be focused on ministry outside the walls of this church, actually taking the gospel next door. In our evangelism philosophy, it's not complicated. Um, It's really simple. It's two phrases. It's come and see and it's go and tell. See, it's this come and see mentality where we want you to bring lost people and unchurched people here on Sunday. Come and see the gospel proclaimed. Come and see the gospel embodied in a group of people. But not only that, we want to emphasize the go and tell as well. That Monday through Saturday, each and every one of us, we're missionaries in this community to go and tell and to share the gospel with other people. That we want this come and see and go and tell. And so for 2017, we'll be providing more training and equipping on how to share your faith, how to build relationships with unchurched and lost people, and we'll do some further experimentation with some bridge-building events to help build relationships with the community. So that's number one, is evangelism. Number two is discipleship. Now, this is the other wing of our church that we really see engagement in discipleship in two main ways, that there's an organized way of discipleship, and then, to be honest with you, there's more of an organic uh, way to engage in discipleship. And the organized way of discipleship in 2017, we are launching these Titus II ministries, both for women and for men that Titus 2 gives us a picture of what discipleship looks like in the life of a church, that the older are discipling the younger. And so whether that's one-on-one or one-on-four or two-on-six, that will be launched in 2017, both for the men and for the women. The women will be under Crystal Novotny's leadership, and the men will be under Dustin Crow's leadership. But we also believe that discipleship best occurs within existing relationships, that it's best occurred in community where you're already known. And many of you have taken up this organic flavor of discipleship where some of you have just initiated with someone older and you've said, hey, like, can you disciple me? Can can we grab coffee and, and talk about the Bible and talk about how to grow spiritually? Or some of you who are older, you've been initiating with the younger and you'd be surprised how hungry like the younger people are in our church, but the older have also initiated with the younger. And you said, hey, let's, let's grab coffee and talk about how to grow spiritually. Like that's been happening all throughout this past year, and we want to continue to emphasize that organic nature of discipleship and also within our small group life as well. And so that's discipleship. Number three is shepherding. Now all year long, we've been developing a shepherding strategy that we'll be rolling out in the first quarter of 17, that answers the question, if you're a member here, how are you cared for? How are you spiritually nurtured? Like how how are the elders and the leaders knowing the shape of your soul and helping you to take steps moving forward? That's a question that we've been answering because according to Hebrews 13, 17, the elders and the leaders will have to give an account before the Lord about how well we have shepherded. And that verse keeps me up at night as well. 
And so we want to be able to roll out that shepherding strategy to you in quarter one of 17. Then the next priority is community. Now, community, honestly, this is one of our strengths in our congregation, kind of the relational centeredness uh, that our size of a congregation has. And we're, we're anticipating that when we move to two services in January, when we move across the street, that that's going to propose a challenge for our community. And so we want to be very intentional about having more church-wide events, whether in the form of pitch-ins, which we love, which hopefully more pies will be there for those pitch-ins, but even like Christmas parties and the like, just so that people are being known and that there are relationships that are happening. And remember, as we talked about last week, we want our church not to be like Home Depot, where you come in and you go out, but that church is more like a family gathering where you come and you linger and you get connected and church feels sticky. And so we want to continue to lean into that being a priority for our church is the community development. And then last is the next door mission. Now we've been talking a lot about the next door mission all year. We have hit this very hard. You're probably sick and tired of hearing about it, which is good. Um, but we want to continue to unpack what does it look like for the Fishers congregation to give back to the next door mission? What does it look like for us to maybe help a potential campus or a hurting church? Because we've gone down this road and we've learned so much about how to do it well and what things to avoid. And so what role do we have to play in that? And I'm excited to share with you um, a new opportunity that the Lord has just dropped into College Park's lap. That part of the next door mission strategy is to consider adopting hurting churches. And College Park Church has had about four to five different conversations with churches over the last two years, but none of them have materialized. Well, in the first week of October, so very recently, a church in Castleton area approached College Park Church about adopting them. <clears throat> now, the church leadership has been praying for the last six months about pursuing the option because they're down to about 70 people, and financially the church is not sustainable beyond the next few months. And so for the last um, month or so, the College Park staff has been working on evaluating this opportunity. The name of this church is The Chapel. It's at 91st and Allisonville Road. <clears throat> now the church is debt-free, it has a renovated sanctuary that seats about 200 people. It has a wonderful uh, facility that sits on six acres in a very uh, strategic part of our city. And in fact, today at that congregation, they are announcing the fact uh, that they have approached College Park about adopting them. In fact, North Indy's making the same announcement with Pastor Mark. And then last Monday, so just a few days ago, the elders approved a motion to bring this adoption to a congregational vote on December 4th, both here at Fishers and at North Indy. Now, there's a lot more that I would love to share with you, and we'll be talking more about this in the next week uh, or two before our vote. But I want you to know that we, we as a, a leadership team, we looked and we considered our congregation using that property during our capital campaign that it would have been um, very strategic for us to do that, and yet we've decided no for the following reasons. That number one, and this is kind of the deal breaker right off the bat, logistically, it was just way, way too small. 
that we would have immediately maxed out the building just with our congregation here because it could only seat about 200 people with very, very limited space for children's ministry. But reason number two is that it doesn't really fit our vision, that our vision has always been Fishers and Noblesville and kind of the northeast part of the region of Indianapolis. And so moving our focus down to Castleton would have been a conflicting vision priority for us. That for us to have this vision of reaching fishers in the surrounding community and then make a hard pivot and start pursuing Castleton for a couple years and then repackage the vision after we raise money for that capital campaign and then move back into fishers, we would have encountered an identity crisis. Who are we trying to reach? What culture are we trying to find? And so we've elected not to pursue uh, that building for our use. In fact, that property will be used, Lord willing, to better reach areas into Castleton, Washington, and Lawrence townships, which is much different than the Hamilton County. We have a number of College Park North Indy families that live in that area, and it has a great potential for a new campus, maybe a counseling center for the community, a daycare outreach, or some other outreach. So I'm really excited to see just how the Lord is going to use that building to reignite a passion to follow Jesus in an area that desperately needs it. This is just an opportunity that the Lord has dropped in our lap that we're looking at pursuing. And so that congregational vote is on December 4th here right after the service. And even at North Indy, they'll be doing the same thing on December 4th. But we'll have a Q&A service next Sunday after the service and then a Q&A right before the vote on December 4th as we have time to process uh, more things. So I know that's a lot to, to digest, and that's kind of just like a bomb that's been dropped, but I'm just so thankful for how the Lord is working, that this church looks at College Park as a healthy church and a church that could adopt them. Like, praise the Lord for our, our reputation and our testimony in the community that we're willing to help uh, this healthy church, and we'll be explaining more about uh, participating in the next door mission in this following year. But I want to close just with the question that I opened with, and that is, what is your next step for 2017? That what does it look like for you to maybe better participate in our priorities for 2017, maybe in the areas of evangelism or discipleship, that maybe you need to take a step and make a commitment to, hey, I'm going to pursue the lost more. I'm going to be more intentional at work or in my neighborhood or with my friends or maybe in the area of discipleship that if you're older, I'm really going to invest in the younger people here. I'm going to, I'm going to move my insecurities and my fears to the side and I'm going to take that step and I'm going to invest in people that are younger here. Or maybe if you're here today and you're not a member, that your next step is to become a member of our church and to fall under our shepherding strategy for 2017. Like, I don't know what your next step is, but I just want to leave you with that question, maybe for you to discuss within your small group or discuss within your family, as what does it look like for you to grow in 2017 and make the gospel more central and to live with gospel intentionality? Let's pray together. God, we do give you praise and thanks for church. God, church is your idea. Lord, you came up with the idea of taking people who were enemies of you, got people who are even enemies towards one another, and redeeming them, 
saving them or giving them freedom through your sacrifice and putting them together in a family? God, what a, what a bizarre idea and yet incredibly effective to displaying the beautiful name of Jesus. So God, I pray for our congregation and our church that as we consider what steps to take moving forward, God, that you would continue to lead us, that you would continue to guide us, God, that the supremacy of Jesus would be at the forefront of our minds. Lord, I pray that the gospel would be just our heartbeat in our congregation, that it would impact everything that we're doing. And God, we do pray for our community in Fishers and Noblesville and the surrounding community. God, that you would help College Park Fishers to be a beacon of light and of hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.